Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Mischief Makers, your one-stop shop for all things mischief. Join your host, Dave Hearn, as he finds out what makes mischief, well, mischief. Hello and welcome to another episode of Mischief Makers. I'm Charlie Russell and today I have the honour and pleasure of interviewing the incredibly talented actor and wonderful human, Lydia Fraser. Hello, Lydia. Hello, Charlie. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing very well, thank you. I'm so excited to interview you. This is going to be great. Oh, I'm really excited too. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. Um, <laughs> so for those listeners who don't know, this is a podcast for people to get to know the members of Mischief and just generally find out interesting things about interesting people. This week, we're doing things a little differently. So I want to find more about... I want to find out more about Lydia, her life and her career. But as well as this, Lydia is going to talk to us about the Black Lives Matter movement. Mischief benefits from white privilege, and we wanted to use our platform to amplify Lydia's voice. If that was something she wanted, we acknowledge it's not Lydia's job to teach people about systemic racism. It's our responsibility to learn and listen. But Lydia has still kindly agreed to come on and share her experiences and understanding with us. And we are very grateful for that. So, Lydia, thank you for being here with us. How are you today? I am very well, thank you. I'm very well. And um, I really appreciate uh, you coming towards me and uh, giving me this platform to be able to speak. Obviously, not that I speak for everyone, but um, <laughs> I really I, re- I really appreciate this opportunity. Thank you. Well, it's our honour and our privilege. We, uh, we usually start with a little getting to know you section in this little podcast thing. Um, and so for those people who don't know, Lydia was in the second cast of the comedy about a bank robbery in the West End, where I was lucky enough to share a stage with you for a short time, because even though I wasn't technically in your cast, there was a period of time where you needed some emergency cover. So it was around Christmas, wasn't it? I got to come on and yeah. we did shows together and rehearsals together. It was so fun. So much fun. It was so, so, so much fun. And it was still kind of like fresh and new for me as well, because I was still learning so many of the parts because I was understudy on it as well. So I was learning from Mm. you as well as from Tanya and Paula and Holly. And it was just just madness. And obviously because Christmas in theatre land is incredibly busy. So all of that on top of it. So... It, w- it was so much fun. It was crazy, but it was so much fun. It really was, wasn't it? And also, I'd love to add how brilliant you are to work with and also to oh, watch. You're so good. You're completely captivating on stage. Oh. Um, <laughs> it's true. It's true. And and it makes sense because after uh, bank robbery, amongst other things, you are in the cast of Hamilton on the West End. Is that right? Yeah, I am. I'm um, standby. So I cover uh, Angelica, Eliza and Peggy slash Mariah um in Hamilton and it's it's been absolutely amazing absolutely amazing yeah was it um kind of scary when you were you just like oh my god I'm doing Hamilton (laughs) 
that's exactly how I felt. That's exactly how I felt. Um, and because the audition process was was so thorough as well, mm. and there was so much material to learn, and because they want to see that you can play all all of the parts, and it's vocally mm. very challenging. That the three sisters are very very different, um, and if, if you've seen the show, it's basically the whole thing is sung all the way through. Mm. Um, so it, it was a lot, it was a lot to learn. And then obviously into rehearsals, it was it was getting to know all of those tracks and also getting to know everyone else who also had to know other tracks that you were going to be performing with. So it was never a dull moment. <laughs> Do you, um, I love Hamilton and I quite frequently listen to the, um, the soundtrack, uh, the, the recordings. Do you have a favourite to play? Like, I know because Eliza is the the main role, but I really love Angelica. Like, do you have a favourite? Yeah, Angelica's definitely my favourite. <laughs> definitely my favourite. Yes, I love her. I love, I just, to be honest, getting to perform Satisfied is <gasps> such, oh, it's, it's basically like, a soliloquy is is such an actor's dream of a song to do because you get to rap in it. Not that I've ever rapped before, or I also question like why I'm doing it. <laughs> but like I don't rap. This is completely alien to me. Um, but somehow they I slipped through the cracks, I guess. Um, but it's such a an amazing role to play, and she's got so many different masks as a character mm-hmm. and her. It's just they, they change throughout and she's so torn between her loyalty with her sister and the love she has for Hamilton. But yeah, stay tuned if you've not seen it. <laughs> I am gonna I'm gonna let you into a little secret, Lydia. I, as a total nerd, have spent enough time learning it and I can also do the rap not very well. <laughs> So proud, so proud. <laughs> I will never make it public, but one day I may do it for you if you get me drunk enough. I'm going to hold you to that 100% because <laughs> I need to see it. I need it in my life. So, <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, um, let's hear more about you. Where did you grow up and actually how did you get into acting and musical theatre? Well, I was born in Birmingham and I lived there for 12 years. So I moved from Birmingham to Surrey when I was uh, 13. Um, And me and my sister have just always been into the arts. Like my dad plays piano and trumpet and just also the didgeridoo, which is really, really random. (laughs) (laughs) He he collects musical instruments. Um, Uh, so we've always been quite an arty household and we always sung as kids as well. And my mum sent us to um, oh, the Helen O'Grady Drama Academy every Saturday. Mm-hmm. So we watched like this, this little theatre school for kids. Um, so that's really kind of how we got into it. Like it was very much a me and my sister thing. There was a shared passion. And then when we moved to Surrey, it, obviously that it was very, very different as well. And it was a different stage of life because you're like, you're going into year eight and you're kind of a bit preteen and you're getting a bit awkward and finding yourself. Um, it took me a while to gain confidence and then start doing like school shows and things like that and finding another like Saturday school I could go to, which is great because my, my parents were always really, really supportive of that and were always very keen to keep that alive. Mm. Oh, that's lovely. Is your sister an actor as well? Yeah, she, uh, she's she gone down a different route. So she went to uni and she studied film studies instead, but the love for it never died with her. Um, and she's done more sort of entertainment performance. So she's worked for like um, London Dungeons and Merlin Entertainments, uh, things like that. Um, wow. And last year, was it last year? Yeah, last year she played Dolores' sister act in the Isle of Wight, and it was like the first time in a long time that she's played such a big role in a, in a musical. Um, and she was she absolutely smashed it. She was phenomenal, absolutely mm-hmm. phenomenal. That's amazing! How lovely! Mm-hmm. 
Um, so I suppose we're also here to talk about your experience as a black woman. And yeah. did you, it's a really sort of naive question of me, but did you encounter racism growing up um, at school or, or later on in your training? Um, and if so, has it evolved or changed since then? 100%. I would definitely say that racism, especially in Britain as well, has evolved in different ways because it's so much more insidious. Mm. Um, uh, we do get a lot of aggression and um, and hurt, but it's done in a very different way. It's systemic. Um when I was growing up, I, I've said this out loud on Twitter as well, <laughs> running my mouth on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. But um, when I was, I couldn't have been no more than five. I was tiny. I was tiny. And I was playing in a playground. Uh, and I remember my sister was in a buggy. That's how young I was. And I was playing with this little girl. As kids do, you just randomly make friends with anyone, don't you? And mm-hmm. her brother came over, who was older than both of us. And he said, you can't play with us, go away. You can't play with us because you're black. And I remember more than anything, just like the feeling of absolute shame. Mm -hmm. Obviously being so young as well, you don't really understand how that feels at that young age because kids have no shame. (laughs) They're happy to like walk around and do anything and just go, look at me, I'm doing a cartwheel. Great, good for you. Um, But... It was a fee- it was the it was the most poignant feeling of racism for me, mm. and it was almost like I'd just been found just utterly embarrassed. I was mortified, and I I was so confused by it. And I remember going up to my mum and saying, "Oh, this boy said this to me." And obviously my mom was absolutely raging. She was seething. She's like, right, we're going, we're going home. And she took my hand. I remember thinking, okay, so this is really bad because this has upset mum. Yeah. I'm really confused. So now, now mum's really upset. Have I done something wrong? Is it my fault? So is it because, oh, right, so my skin is different. I know that, obviously, I'm brown. <laughs> this person's white. Oh, so I'm the bad person. I'm the problem here. And this is where systemic racism comes into play. It is, it's something you, being treated differently because of the color of your skin will affect you on so many emotional and traumatic mental levels. And for me, that was one of the most poignant and earliest experiences of racism I've ever had. Granted, it has changed a lot now. I I also need to state I am a mixed race woman my mum is white British she also has really curly ginger hair and freckles so growing up as a kid so many people were like that's not your mum like I can guarantee you she is I've got the birth certificate um but that was a microaggression in itself um Mm. my dad is black Jamaican Mm. I have a privilege myself as a person who's of mixed heritage because I am half white I am lighter skinned and you know, the microaggressions I get now are, you know, the fact that my hair is Afro-y, people get confused because they're like, oh, well, you don't really look that black. But I suppose, yeah, your lips are quite big, your hair is quite big. So you get these different sort of, I don't know, people try and put you in a box and try and suss out where you are racially or try and put you on a scale of how how black or how white you are. And that in itself can be... I don't know, quite quite degrading, I guess, rather than seeing me as a person. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, it's... I can't imagine, actually... You know, I laughed when you said somebody says to you because of your ginger mum, you know, that's not your mum. But then it, yeah. it shocked me because I thought, oh, actually, as a child, to experience somebody telling them that their mother isn't their mum... Yeah, that they're not connected to their mum has must have such psychological ramifications. Oh gosh, yeah, and I, because as a kid, obviously your brain is a sponge, and you hear it enough times, you start to question. Go, is she my mum? Pretty certain she is, but maybe they're right. (laughs) 
because we look so different, me and my mum. Well, we do and we don't, because you can see in our, our facial expressions and we have so many quirks that are so similar and we speak very similarly as well. Um, but she is a white woman. She is very, very pale, very freckly. She's got um, Irish heritage as well. Um, so we, we do look so, so different. Mm. But then again, you could say me and my dad look so different. He is dark skinned. Mm. And I'm not. I'm not. But but then is that is that um the the sort of that's the white uh normalization, isn't it? Because yeah, uh, what I'm, very what much I'm so. learning about is that we go like white people are like, if you're black, you're sort of all in that box. But there's yes. lots of differences between white people, but we're like, but you're black, so you're just in that one box. Yeah, so much. I remember saying to my mom, like, oh, it's funny because people do call me black or I get put up for black roles um, in theatre or TV, whatever. And I was like, it's so funny because they don't see that I'm definitely mixed. I'm definitely both. I'm black and I'm white. And my mum used to always say to me, Lydia, they don't see that. They just see that you're black. Yeah. Which is so interesting. Yeah. But- Did you... No, go on. It's 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 a funny thing because it's almost seen as an, an I don't know. It, there's a confusion of it in a way of where it, when it comes to being mixed as well. There's the sort of um, when it comes to upbringing, the sort of oh, I don't know how to say it. The how you, torn you feel between your identity. And who and and where society wants to put you, yeah, as the identity they think you are, especially when that comes into theatre as well. Mm. I was going to ask you about your uh, multiracial heritage. In fact, so you've sort of talked about it first, and I, I was wondering, yeah, how you identified, and isn't isn't that interesting? Because I have to ask that question. Whereas mm. as a white as a white person, nobody's like, do you identify as white? Because <laughs> yeah. white is like so normal that you don't have to identify as it whereas yeah. I'm asking you the question how you identify and I realize now the sort of perverse nature of asking you that question no well not well I wouldn't say perverse but yeah I, I guess so and it's so funny when even when you go to like the doctors or and you fill out one of those forms it's like nationality tick the box and I'm always like okay where, where is it lower down there it is mixed heritage which one is it okay black Jamaican white British done <laughs> tick that box um but yeah it, it, it is funny isn't it because um when I was growing up I had a real it, coming to terms with identity is so tricky for anybody anyway when you're going through puberty mm. puberty sucks it's awful <laughs> don't yeah. make me do it ever again <laughs> um, I'd, I'd rather opt out don't want to do that um but growing up I you know I was really lucky as a little kid because my mom made sure that we had books that had black or mixed characters in it so having that growing up was so enriching to see um representation and see oh look these kids look like me amazing um but growing up seeing disney films and you know being obsessed with cinderella or sleeping beauty i was that kid and i know i I know i'm not the only girl who used to do this they used to put a tea towel on their head to imagine that they had long hair (laughs) Because that was such, you know, it was so coveted. It was so desirable to be like, oh, I got this long, straight, white hair. Oh, I got it was it was so desired, and that then get was sort of channeled into my my teenage years, and then the discovery of GHD straighteners happened, and that was the thing to have for your Christmas present. That was on everyone's list, and mm. I suppose because I was seeing so many other black and mixed girls with weaves or wigs or straightened hair and using relaxers. I was like, oh, great, brilliant. So I can fit in this way. Um, And I suppose it it took me a while. It took me until drama school, really, to make the choice. It's a personal choice as well. It It was my own personal choice to go, actually, I don't want to straighten my hair anymore. 
I'm going to do the big chop, chop off all the dead, the debris, <laughs> the things I don't need right now, this dead hair, mm-hmm. and just embrace the fact that I've got biracial hair that is very, very afro and coily. And, and I suppose it, it, it was, at, at the time, I didn't really think about it, but I suppose it is quite a political thing to do, I guess, <laughs> yeah. to embrace your hair. Um, and I do get a lot of comments on it and I do get asked if it's real and, you know, th- there is a fascination about it. And I suppose that fascination comes from the fact that it it's only just becoming more visible and yeah. main and, and I suppose in a way fashionable, dare I say it. Um, but yeah, hair is a big thing. Hair has been a big part of my mixed identity, my mixed black identity in particular. Yeah. yeah. And I think I think you're right, definitely right in saying that it is political because I think any um, celebration of what's naturally you that is conventionally described as not pretty or not good or not mm. normal uh, is an is a sort of an act of political activism because yeah. you're celebrating something you absolutely should celebrate and sort of flying in the face of that white patriarchal normal society absolutely Um, so you mentioned drama school so did you find that drama school was a place that you um you talked about starting to embrace that uh your natural black hair Mm. then was that because of a, a really great environment where you were starting to celebrate the aspects of yourself that you previously hadn't or was it actually as a reaction to something you know how was your experience at drama school basically I'm not really sure, you know. Um, mm. Drama school was a bit of a funny one. I went to GSA, which is in Guildford, which is a predominantly white area anyway, and very middle class. Um, there weren't many black actors in my on my course. I did the acting course. Mm. Um, there were probably about five of us. Um, we're a bit, we're, it was a huge course as well. There was a lot of us. It was a good 30 plus. Um, there was five. Yeah. Yeah. And there was one of a mixed woman. The rest were black guys. Um, and that's myself included. Um, so that was interesting to see. Uh, I do struggle when I think about certain things at drama school because I have such love and fondness for it because I learned so much and it 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 allowed me to discover so much of what I I do in my career and why I do love it however I do feel that it did hindrance certain parts of of me and I'm saying that overall because I think that there are many other people who probably feel that way whether you know regardless of race um because it is quite hard going to drama school. It's, there's a sort of notion of breaking you down and lifting you back up to discover who you are, mm-hmm. um, which overall is in aid to make you stronger and prepared for the industry and all of that. Um, but I, I do want to speak out about a certain thing that happened at drama school. Um, okay. And it wasn't just GSA. There were other drama schools that are involved that did this Um this day out, I guess. So we were told, oh, all the uh, people of colour within the year group on the acting course, you're going to go to the National Theatre and you're going to do a day out where it's specifically tailored to you as black actors. So obviously we're like, yes, come on, let's go then. Brilliant, let's go. Um, And we turned up, went to the National. Obviously you're very impressionable, you're very young, um, all your dreams are there. Um, we're all put into, the, we're all warming up together. There are other drama schools there as well. And then we go into the Liston Theatre and we sit in the auditorium. And we're basically told, you need to learn how to speak properly. You need to know how to come across in an audition room because people are going to judge you straight away and assume you're from the ghetto, assume you're from the streets. And... Um, Obviously, when you're that sorry, young yeah, and you're in... to, I don't mean to interrupt you, oh, but um, it, it just broke up on my end and I don't want to lose what you just said. It might have oh, been yeah. perfectly audible for everybody else, but I, I lost you just after. So they 
uh, told you you need to know how to speak properly and present yourself in an audition? Yes. And people will assume, casting directors may assume that you're from the ghetto or that you are, you know, from the streets and that you're a certain type of way. A racial stereotype, basically. So it was like, right, right you can get up and do your speeches, but I'm going to help you speak through it so that it's passable and basically whitewashed, so to speak. Um, and we did it anyway. All of us did. We, we got up and we did it. But when we travelled back to Guildford, <laughs> this the group of us that were there, of these non-white actors, we all sat there and we're like, this feels shit. This feels horrible. I feel like we've just been told off. I don't feel like I've learned anything. I feel like I've been prepped in advance to be told that things are going to be so much harder for you because people aren't going to take you seriously as a black actor. And I suppose, unfortunately, it's true. <laughs> it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be this way at all. Um, but the repercussions and emotionally how that felt after that day, I I was not happy about it, basically. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I think I can understand that. I'm yeah. <laughs> pretty shocked. Um, I think what's interesting is you're right, like talking about a challenge you might have to face wrongly, but that you might have to face because being your black is is maybe true and therefore like is that that maybe that's okay to talk about, but then it's it sounds like the way of dealing with that was came from really the wrong angle I mean yeah yeah so you've I got believe to change so. with somebody else rather than we need to change the system mm. and it is so funny because it's so ironic because so much of uh drama school was kind of not I don't want to use the term whitewashing but it was made you were made to be palatable and um, you know expand on your castability I guess and then it's so funny when you come out of drama school you get all these submissions for BAME casting and they and a lot of the time uh, countless times I've been asked can you make it a bit more sassy can you make her a bit more like this it's like I know what you're saying (laughs) by saying sassy um which is you know it's so difficult because you end up being confused by all these different masks that you kind of have to put on as to, you know, who who you are or what they're wanting to be represented as an actual character. But yeah, that that's my that's my struggle with it and the industry. <laughs> yeah, and the bit you know that I, I obviously can have no understanding of what that must feel like. Um, but I can, you know, I also know what it's like to be an actor wanting the gig. Absolutely. Right. We Absolutely. all just want the gig. We want to get into drama school, then we want the job because even if it's not the best job in the world, it might lead to another one and you might get to work with yeah. several people. And and when you don't have a job, you don't really feel in the position to turn around and say, F you, you don't of course not. Like this, of course you know? not. So you're not in the position of power to mm. be able to kind of speak up without worrying about the repercussions of that. That's yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very much um, so. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, I'm. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, um, you mentioned terms in that when you were just talking. Then, um, BME, BAME, BAME, um, mm-hmm. people of color, non-white. Um, there's a there's a huge really really brilliant discussion at the moment that I think is reaching people that it hadn't reached before about uh, words to language to describe people and to label mm-hmm. people. And um, rather than me talk about it, I was wondering if, if you could talk about how you feel about the terms BAME, BME, BME. And I know that, you know, you don't speak for everyone, but I'd love to mm-hmm. hear um, how you feel about those uh, terms. Yeah. So um, the thing I have with BAME, and I know, and I'm, I'm just going to say this first before I embark about, upon, obviously this is my own opinion of how I feel about that term, is there's a, a, a struggle between intention and impact. And I know this sounds hugely generalised, <laughs> But most of the time, I do believe that people have really good intentions and want to do the right thing. 
we're very, you know, we're, we're especially nowadays, we're trying to be so self-aware of doing the right thing and coming across well. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean the impact is right. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the impact on other people is going to be a positive one. And I feel that's where I, I, I sit with the term BAME. The intention is right, that they want to be inclusive of everybody who is non-white. However, it is slightly generalising, which does make you feel a little bit put to the side, like a bit of an afterthought. Um, It also kind of takes the power away from specifically saying black or specifically saying indigenous or specifically saying mixed heritage or biracial which are standalone, beautiful, wonderful things to be (laughs) um, Mm. and have every right to be represented and celebrated as Mm. black, as indigenous, as mixed. Um, It also kind of links to, I was was having a really intense couple of conversations with my mom actually, and I know that my mom's really, really hurting at the moment with everything that's been going on because she feels that she she's really discovering her own white privilege and that as a woman who was brought up to brown women (laughs) is really painful for her to realize that that she's not seen things and that she's not been able to protect us as any mother would probably feel in a lot of different ways all mothers want to protect their children and don't want them to hurt but I suppose it's the realisation coming in late, <laughs> a bit late to the party is really hard for her. But um, my mum used to always say things like, but I don't see colour. I love you for who you are as a person, which is good intention, which is coming from a place of love, absolute golden light of love. <laughs> it's, it, she's an angel. She's wonderful. However, saying that you only see colour actually diminishes black struggle. It yeah. takes away and silences the history and the pain that has been endured for centuries. And it takes away the fact that, you know, the colour is a beautiful, wonderful thing and it holds all of this magic and this this blackness that should be celebrated by saying, oh, but I don't see colour, I just see you as a person. It's like, no, see my colour, see the fact that my skin is brown and it comes from the fact that I have a black father, a black man and a white woman got together and somehow this happened. <laughs> um, <laughs> this chatterbox happened. Um, but seeing seeing colour is so, so important, which is why I struggle a bit with the whole BAME terminology, basically. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, thank you so much for explaining that. I... Um, I yeah, I was listening about the the not seeing color thing, and I, it struck me, of course, that what you're saying is, don't worry, I don't see your blackness. Like, yeah. so what you're initially saying is, so the blackness is a negative thing, but it, don't worry, exactly. I disregard yeah. it. Yeah, it's like you. Right. Oh, it's a shame you happen to be black. Don't worry, I know you're a good person, really, but you are black. Is that <laughs> connotation of like? oh, I don't know what to say. And it, it does come from like that white fragility and that white, yeah. white guilt in a way of like, but I don't want to bring up the past of because, you know, by being black, therefore, you know, we have to talk about the slave trade and all of that. And it's like, mm. no, we can look at it and we can go, yeah, this is wonderful as well. And acknowledge yeah. that, yes, that did happen. Let's move. Let's be proactive about it. Let's all be anti-racist. Let's do that instead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's do that. Let's do that. Let's do that. That'll be fun. <laughs> um, I, um, I found it, what you just said earlier as well about um, intention and impact, uh, mm. was, I just found something really enlightening because, and again, sort of shows my white privilege. I've not had to think about it before. But um, I was wondering then, you know, with talking about that, uh session at the national theater Mm. um so you can say you could say that the intention was a positive one but the impact was absolutely yeah and but their intentions were there Mm. oh i lost you oh i think i lost you as well i was like oh 
and that's the end. <laughs> I, know, I, that. I, know. I actually, <laughs> I think it might have been because I was interrupting you and then you were being very kind and letting me speak, but then I realised. Oh, <laughs> um, really well. I suppose <laughs> Uh, that the impact like the intention doesn't mean that but just because you intended good things doesn't mean you're excused from the responsibility of the impact absolutely oh my god you've hit the nail on the head so true um I'm reading I've just finished reading actually this book called women don't owe you pretty by Florence Given she's Mm -hmm. you may have heard of her she's um she's an instagrammer she's an influencer really but her, her book is absolutely amazing and there's a whole bit that talks about accountability which comes into the whole intention versus impact thing of like okay you could say but I meant well I didn't want to hurt their feelings but the the impact ended up doing the opposite of what you intended and it has hurt their feelings therefore your accountability needs to come into play where you need to rectify what you did wrong and I, I suppose that goes to that sort of saying of like, being nice doesn't mean you're being anti-racist, which is also a really bitter pill to swallow, a really bitter pill to swallow. And I'm saying that as someone who's mixed because I have privilege. I 100% have privilege because I am lighter skinned. I'm going to have privileges privileges compared to a dark skinned woman. I'm going to have privileges compared to a dark skinned man. And I suppose being anti-racist and acknowledging your own privilege doesn't mean that you're not a nice person, doesn't mean that your intentions weren't good, doesn't mean that you're not wonderful. Nine times out of ten people are wonderful, (laughs) but it's being able to be an adult and go, okay, I meant well, it didn't go down well, Therefore, how do I fix this and take accountability for it? And unfortunately, that was the problem with what happened at the National. They meant well. They want, They thought they were doing the right thing by us and going, this is going to be great for these, these actors. Unfortunately, it did the opposite. <laughs> and yeah. it made us all, you know, a little bit pissed off, unfortunately. Yeah, and, and uh, that feeling yes. that you had was happened. Yeah. It, it can't it, be erased because it wasn't meant yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I guess a lot of it, it comes down to taking accountability for it, for your intentions. Yeah. I think, I mean, you said it's a, it's a bitter pill to swallow. Um, mm. And even, you know, speaking for your own, your own experience, which, um, but actually, I, I think it could be seen if, if maybe particularly white people took the mo- took a moment to think about it. It's, I, I thought that was quite empowering because it gives you, you could see it as empowering. Right, okay, so I meant well, but here is here are the tools to, to for me to understand that why that isn't necessarily enough. And now I'm going to sit with the impact I made. And and I, in a way, I, I, it felt quite like a positive thing. If, you, if one can um, acknowledge it and sit with it, it, it could Absolutely. be... It, it, yeah yeah and because we were all sort of a little bit you know all humans are really I'm quite interested in how much we are desperate for control oh Um, god yeah (laughs) right we always have like rules about our lives if I do this this and this I'll get this and that makes us feel comforted and sometimes you can do all those things and still not get x and I Mm -hmm. think then if I'm maybe speaking as a white woman, I'll go, well, if I mean this, this, and I'm nice, like you said, you know, then I'm, I'm not racist. And, and you learn that, no, that's, that's not how it works. And then you go, oh, oh goodness, like I, I feel out of control. Yeah. You just gave, you just gave me a gift because you said, no, you can still have a level of responsibility and control where you can go oh okay I did get it wrong but now I can have the control of making it right again and having and that responsibility isn't necessarily a negative thing it's yeah it could be seen as a positive thing such a growing process as well of like we find it I I'm saying this and putting my hand up I find it so hard to say when I'm wrong and it's a practice I am 
really trying to commit to. <laughs> and I think that's the other thing is the whole thing with being actively anti-racist. You're going to get shit wrong all the time. Yeah. You're just going to get stuff wrong. Because unfortunately, the system and the curriculum has failed you. It's failed all of us because we are not being taught stuff that we should be. And we're having to arrive late to the table and go, so guys, I'm late. I'm going to have to really read up on this stuff that actually has been kept away from me. And now it's my responsibility to look this up and rectify these things. Not that it's personal, but I owe it to myself to be a better person, to do that, to be anti-racist. Because as I said, nine times out of 10, I feel like people are good. So take it that step further and be absolutely brilliant and admit when you've done something wrong and also forgive yourself when you do fuck up because you're going to <laughs> like mm. my mom was like I've fucked up so many times like, I'm so sorry I'm so sorry um she got really confused the other day because she was like I didn't at first understand why you were upset about George Floyd being murdered because it's so far away and I was like mm. okay so thank you for admitting that first of all that's the first step um and then she was like I realize now why I know now why this is her and I've empathised with that because it does affect you. Not in the same way that it has affected George Floyd's family. Obviously, it's not on that intense personal bereavement, but it's something as a society we should all be upset about. And I was like, yeah, that, that's it. And you are going to get it wrong. So don't beat yourself up about it. Just keep, turn up, basically. Show up. Mm. <laughs> And I'm including on, myself in that as well. <laughs> <laughs> and on a small level, like when we have arguments with people, you know, more like domestic levels of arguments, mm-hmm. you, you resist, don't you? One resists um, saying that you were wrong. You, you, you resist like saying sorry and you resist admitting that you're at fault. Like it just happens. But that yeah. moment that you go, oh, no, I did do that wrong. I assumed yeah. this of you, or I made this judgment, or I was actually being defensive. And I, sh- you know, once you've said that, it's like a weight lifted, and it's actually really oh, liberating. So yeah, it's so so freeing when you suddenly go, actually, ego, can you step aside, please, love? Thank you. Take a seat. And it's just, yeah. oh, it's the it's one of the best feelings. It's hard at first because you feel so uncomfortable and you feel so vulnerable, but. And it's not easy. It's so not easy at all. But once you have done it, oh, the release is just, yeah. Oh, it's yeah, great. <laughs> it's so much better. And then you're like, okay, cool. So I did it wrong. And weirdly, it's never as bad as you thought it was going to be to admit that you were wrong. Yeah. Because yeah, now yeah. you're free to make it better. Well, that's in the smaller domestic setting, of course. But um, mm-hmm. you mentioned then um, when you were talking about the fact that it is our responsibility now to do a lot of um, research and learning. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you. But do you also think that there could be a change in our British education system? I mean, learning about black history or colonialism. Um, I mean, it's sort of a loaded question because I think, <laughs> I think it should change. <laughs> because the answer is yes, Lydia. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yes, yes, we should. <laughs> Yeah, but no. Tell me, tell me about your thoughts on that. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Like, if you can go and sign petitions, we need we need to be learning this in schools. And as I said, I moved from Birmingham to Surrey, and in my old school, we used to celebrate Martin Luther King Day, and it because it was much more multicultural. And then this was an unheard of thing in my school in Surrey, and. In history, we learned a lot about the Second World War, which is still very important. Of course it is. Mm. But that was it. That was it. Like, we didn't really learn anything about how England literally went over and colonised everything. It, It was just erased. It was completely erased from our learning it was not on the curriculum and it's such a shame because we feel like we're arriving late as I said I keep using this party analogy and coming up and taking a seat at the table but we are we really are arriving late to it myself included my education about black history 
really had started after I finished school, after I finished sixth form. I didn't know who, I didn't properly know who Malcolm X was. That sounds so naive, but really I didn't know the real true details of what that man did. I didn't know who Bell Hooks was as a feminist, a black feminist. I like, and I started following these people on Twitter um, and realizing they'd written these books or these articles or had these podcasts and, you know, all these things are accessible to you. It's just that, that they're these treasures that seem to be, well, have been buried, unfortunately, and overlooked because it hasn't been within our interest straight away to look at it because we're not mm. taught it from a young age. It doesn't seem to be something that, you know, it's overlooked, basically, yeah. which is why we're late. <laughs> and, and also, like you talked about, we learn about the Second World War, but we also don't learn all about that, the First World no. War and the Second World War, because I had no idea. I I really had this image in my mind of the the Allied forces. They were just a white army. I, I'm so <laughs> ashamed to admit how I didn't know how many um, soldiers came from the Caribbean, from India, from Africa, yeah. and fought for their co- sort of, you know, colonial masters. <laughs> Basically, for, yeah. Yeah, for want of a better expression. And then were, I read, I read that, um, and I'm, I'm, you know, telling you something you'll know, which is something you probably get a lot. Um, I may not. But, <laughs> but the, it was something like Indian um, soldiers, the highest ranking Indian soldier was still a lower rank than the lowest white ranking yeah. soldier. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, madness, absolute madness. So we don't learn about the racism then, but we also don't learn just about how we could celebrate the all these people that did these things for yeah. us, despite of the fact that they've been um, colonialised. Yeah. I'm being really clumsy with my words. I apologise. but I actually can't say that word. And I know that I slipped up earlier because I physically cannot say it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's something for Lydia to try and learn. <laughs> Mate, I can't spell feminism. Mate, oh, where's where's your eyes going? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm always that person that's first like grammar, and then I'm the one that's like, oh, typo, Lydia. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, the system has failed us. School is rubbish. There we go. I think it's a, I think it's such a shame and I really yeah I really hope that it does seem like one of the exciting things that has come one of the many exciting things that's come from the um, Black Lives Matter movement in 2020 has been this push for a change in our uh, education and curriculum I'm I really hope that sticks because I think it can only benefit all of us and also wouldn't it be easier for people to admit they were wrong if they knew more about it in the first place. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I suppose you are going to be faced with people who don't want to hear it and don't want to be pulled up on their own privilege because they see it as a negative thing or a personal attack. And and I suppose that goes with the whole statue thing that's going on. Um, because people don't want that part of history erased. I can kind of understand that to an extent, but think about all the other history that you've been neglected Mm. there's been you know that you've not had the opportunity to learn about um and it doesn't mean you can't be proud like I saw a meme the other day on Instagram my god um that was like oh what does it mean I can't be proud and British anymore and then the reply was you can be proud and British you can still like pie and mash and be really proud of Britain just don't you know be racist (laughs) it's so true you're like it doesn't mean that you are losing your the parts of you that you should be celebrating. It doesn't mean that. It just means look at the bigger picture as well. Yeah. You're not going to lose and it. We're just offered to sit next to you again with the chairs and the tables, Lydia. I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, man, we like a party. We like a party. Yeah. Like <laughs> <laughs> I think also it's it's something that, 
I think pe- terminology is really useful. And I actually want to move on to that in a little, in in a way. The, the the idea that white privilege, you know, I think people get quite tense about it, a little bit sensitive. Yeah. But actually, it isn't saying that you have never suffered in your life or experienced poverty. But it is talking about the privilege you experience just for being white. It's not like I think people get really and and to acknowledge that that there was one thing that you didn't have to deal with or a few things yeah. you didn't have to deal with because you were white we're not saying that you didn't have to deal with anything um and it's the same like we can be proud of history but also admit things that went that were bad and, yeah because we messed yeah. up <laughs> yeah. yeah it's so true it's so so true and that's the thing with uh, like i can sit here and i, I don't know what it's like to not be able-bodied at this present right. time in my life do you know what I mean I don't have to worry about the fact that oh there was a, there were a load of stairs that I can't use or I'm not like I'm not trans I don't know what it feels like to be trans but I should do everything in my power to try and understand and support as much as I possibly can and be a, an active ally of that mm. and I think the, that's the problem with privilege and as I said before I I have privileges myself I I can read just about, I can, I can just about spell. Um, I went to school, I went to, I went to bloody drama school for crying out loud. Um, you know, I, I am mixed. I am mixed. And it's, it's, it's not that people are telling you off for being privileged. It's, you know, and, and again, as just to reiterate what you said, it doesn't mean you haven't gone through shit at all it doesn't mean that you haven't hurt or been let down by society or you know any of those things what we're saying is it's different when you have darker skin on top of that and have been racially oppressed for centuries (laughs) there's a whole history there and we're not blaming you personally for that history we're just saying let's take ownership and let's sort it out Mm. But I think also, you know, something I'm learning is that I have to admit where my white privilege, like, I might not, like you said, I might not, have, I don't know, it's like not, it, talking about a fault, and I just don't want to excuse myself either, like, I have benefited from mm. that that system that oppresses other people, and I think yeah. it, it might feel uncomfortable, but it's you can't move forward unless you acknowledge that. Um, yeah and that actually brings me on it it brings me on to um the all hashtag black lives matter and the black lives matter movement Mm -hmm. um and also then there's a response uh to that often used which is hashtag all lives matter um and i would i i'm sort of if you're okay to talk about that i would love to (laughs) hear you Explain why that hat is unhelpful. So I've heard so many different analogies that are really, that I've personally found helpful with this. Um, It's like when you turn up to a birthday and you shout, but I've got a birthday too. (laughs) Yeah. Or people talking about breast cancer and ways to fight it. And then someone coming and going, but there are loads of other cancers too. Mm. it is almost gaslighting the the suffering of this by saying all lives matter in a way and basically all I can say is all lives matter when black lives matter really um this isn't saying again like what we said before this isn't saying that you don't matter as a person It doesn't mean that you haven't struggled, but right now things are happening and things have happened throughout the time of the world (laughs) where we need to say and speak up now and say that Black Lives Matter doesn't mean that we're taking away the fact that your life doesn't matter. But right now, too many things have happened in within this time period in 2020 where there needs to be a revolution for Black Lives Matter. This is why there's a movement now, yet again, we're saying Black Lives Matter. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. That was um, really great. Uh, 
when we spoke on the phone, I remember you, when we, I was asking if you would let me interview you, uh, you mentioned yeah. that you have had a lot of requests to speak um, to people or to take part in things and that about and <clears throat> to talk about your experience over the last few weeks. And, you, and you, you mentioned that it was actually quite overwhelming and draining. So firstly, again, thank you so much for then taking the time and energy to come and talk to us. Um, because it must be, it, it must be overwhelming and draining to talk about such a serious and important issue. And you must yeah. like, like representing yourself and all like, like we talked about, you know, you don't represent all black people, but I would, I think I would feel the pressure to get it right for everyone. Um, and then, so I think it's really important to practice self-care in these situations. And also you mentioned mm -hmm. how you're having to discern which requests felt authentic and useful and which felt exploitative um yeah so I didn't we we've we talked about the questions we were, and the things we were going to talk about today but I hadn't actually mentioned this one to you because it just came to me so feel free mm -hmm. to skip it if, you, if you're not ready to talk <laughs> about it but um yeah could you sort of explain that to me because I think it would be really important for people to hear that uh, again this kind of goes back to me saying like it's okay to get things wrong not that I'm saying that anyone's doing anything wrong really but it's a lot has gone around of saying like you know checking on your black friends during this time because of how they feel um and there, I suppose there comes a point where people again want to do the right thing and they want to have good intentions but I suppose as you said it needs to be authentic it can't be for personal gain and it can't be for the exploitation of a trend. And I suppose we're, you know, we're a couple of weeks in after a lot of the protests have happened. I know we've got one coming up uh, on Saturday and next week as well. These are gonna keep going. I hope they do because my fear, I guess, is that there may be a bit of bandwagoning and a mm. bit of what the term fool's gold has gone around. I don't know if you've heard it, but people describing false allyship as fool's gold and sort of like jumping on the hashtag or rocking up to protest because it's the day out um, and not being authentic in what it truly, truly means and how painful this time period has been and how important. And, and as you've said, it is really important to check in with yourself um, and ask yourself, whether you're doing the right thing um and and how it feels as a black person in this time it is very draining because you know it's never going to be easy to see some you know black death it's never easy to see that it triggers everything it triggers so much in in our ancestry and in our history to see that and go, that's because they look like me. So somebody else could treat me in that way. Mm -hmm. um, so it is a specific type of trauma. Um, again, I, I know I keep repeating it, but again, it's intention versus impact every time. Just think of where your intentions are and just empathize and think, would I like this? Would this be a good time? And also consider your relationship with with black people at the moment don't just jump in um and this is why i wanted to do this podcast with you charlie because obviously we we've always chatted about things we've always been very open and you've been so respectful and you've you've heard me i guess and you've been very vocal about about your own privilege and that is where you know we can open up this conversation because it needs to be had yeah it can be exhausting yeah we've had tearful conversations in my house and conversations with my mom and my housemate has been amazing and he's talking to his he's white and his family members are white and he's had fallouts with them and that hurts that's really painful um but we need to carry on doing it unfortunately <laughs> like it's going to be really depressing and really upsetting and you're going to wonder whether you do the right thing a lot of the time but don't stop <laughs> don't stop don't stop keep going yeah well um thank you so much usually during the the mystery makers podcast at the end we also ask people for any because we're in lockdown at the moment still 
Still, um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't think yeah. it. But <laughs> oh, God. Um, oh, yeah. Do you have any? Now, it can be related to this um, self-education and journey, or it doesn't have to be. No pressure. Um, <laughs> any sort of reading or top TV recommendations for people, um, like I said, either to continue on their journey of anti-racism or it could be just something anything you want (laughs) so I am obsessed with I May Destroy You on BBC (gasps) iPlayer which is written oh my have you been watching it no I'm so excited to start it Charlie Charlie (sighs) you're gonna love it oh my god it is so so good I am obsessed with her she is She's just wonderful. It is just sheer black excellence. And she is just so observant. She hits the nail on the head of just, oh, just so many themes that are so important in, in it. And it's just gorgeous to see these stunning, amazing, talented black actors on screen being represented. And it, yeah, just take a look at that. It's brilliant. Um, I said earlier Sorry. as well. Oh, Say go her on. name again. Say her name again. Oh, Michaela Cole. I may destroy you. Great. Thank you. Um, I would also recommend um, what I said before, uh, Florence Givens' book, which is her first ever book called Women Don't Owe You Pretty. Mm. And it's absolutely brilliant. And she is phenomenal. She covers all topics on being queer, on being LGBTQ+. Um, on working on your privilege and being accountable and setting healthy boundaries. It's all empowering, juicy, wonderful feminist stuff. It's just great. Um, And again, I will say, um, I know a lot of people want to read this book and I read it a good couple of years ago and I know that it's sold out on Amazon, but it will come back. But please do, if you can, get a chance to read Why I Am No Longer Talking to White People by Rennie Edelodge because it's just, it just, it's just... A wonderful piece of education for everybody. It's wonderful. Yeah, I can attest yeah. to that. It's it's an incredible read it's great, for, for many reasons as well. Like it's also, you know, it, it's just she's such a great writer as well. It's just yes, wonderful. yes, she's brilliant. She's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And you know what? I think you can get it if you look for independent bookshops or even Waterstones and other. So it doesn't have to be yeah. Amazon. I think I think it's it's becoming more available. Maybe. Um, mm. But also, you know, we can all lend it to each other. So that'd be cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Lydia, I am, I'm so grateful. We, we're so lucky to, and honoured to have had you on this podcast. This was an incredible oh, interview. Thank you for taking the time and your precious energy and agreeing to be interviewed by me. I'm, I'm just so grateful. Thank you. Well, thank you for just making me feel really comfortable and let me talk nonsense about tables for the past <laughs> hour so, so cheers for that thanks pal <laughs> it certainly wasn't nonsense um thank you all for listening to mischief makers i have been charlie russell talking to lydia fraser um lydia do you have a, a twitter account or anything you'd encourage people to follow of yours my own personal one mm. getting all those followers <laughs> terrible um yeah mine is at lydia k fraser that's it (laughs) i really encourage people to follow you on twitter because apart from being funny and interesting and talented um you also took part in the stand by me video um phenomenon which was beautiful and also you post loads of things which are really helpful i read a lot of the things that you write and it's helping me on my journey I am really annoying. <laughs> yeah. No, no, not annoying at all. And you're just, you know, well funny in that. So, oh, thanks. <laughs> um, so, listeners, do keep an eye out for our next episode. You can follow all the latest in Mischief World on Twitter at Mischief Comedy. Thank you for listening and keep making mischief. Thanks, Lydia. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.